Imagine your new bathroom. A sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. to the New Heights Show on Education. This is our show on civil rights, and I'm your host, Pamela Clark. Uh, today we're going to be talking about um, some different uh, things in history to do with uh, slavery and those that were enslaved. Civil rights, of course, is a much bigger issue than just slavery, and we will be exploring all different types of issues in future episodes, so bear with us as we we go through different um, el- or timelines of history. The last couple shows we covered Irish slaves, and we're going to um, continue with that because I think there's things that we haven't shared yet. This is from HistoryNet.com, and it asks the questions, were the Irish slaves... And and um, this starts off, this is not my work, so I'm just sharing what's on the site. This says, slavery had been practiced in Ireland for centuries before a Welsh slave in the 5th century got away, spent some years in France and returned to achieve a mass conversion among the Irish to become St. Patrick. Broca, another slave of the Irish, was the father of St. Bridget. Dublin was a major slave market, especially after the Vikings came and renovated the town in an efficient, into an efficient port. It must be added, however, that slavery was a looser system in those days, and servitude, whether to Irishmen, Roman, Norsemen, or Norman, did not necessarily mean servitude for life. The trafficking of the Irish for cheap labor began in earnest when England began colonizing the New World and at the same time increased their domination over Ireland. Rebels and criminals and often their families often found themselves being deported, especially to island plantations in the Caribbean and later to Van Diemen's Island or land, sorry, Van Diemen's land which is penal colonies in Australia. Most often, however, they were indentured servants under four to seven year contracts to work the sugar cane, tobacco, or cotton fields until their time ran out and they would be released from indenture. In practice, the master sometimes extended the time 
of indenture, others for whom the indentured service was not the lifelong investment that a black or Native American slave was, had no uh, compunction, no compunction of about working the indentured servant to death in the last year. For the Irish, the worst period of indentured servitude began with their rebellion against English rule in 1641. Through the Cromwellian Commonwealth and on through the early 18th century, when there was a mass de were mass deportations as a means of essentially moving the Irish problem elsewhere. Nevertheless, the vast majority of indentured Irish, Irish, once their time was up, left the plantations, save for some 10% who had established their own. To try their luck anywhere else in the colonies, and often in spite of centuries, of anti-Irish prejudice, managing to establish new lives and livelihoods. Still, a good many former indentured servants released without education, practical training, money, or prospects, and a greatly reduced outlook regarding the value of human life in general, made their way to ports such as Kingston, Jamaica, and found their way into more profitable employment under certain enterprising sea captains such as Bartholomew Porticus and, and Francis Lalonis and Henry Morgan. Although, as mentioned above, indentured service could be worse than slavery, it was at least more temporary than that practiced on African slaves, although a myth has arisen equating the two. So that's that person's um, opinion. What do you think of that account? I personally know that um, much of it, if not all of it, is true because I've studied history, English history, Viking history, Irish history, um, and it's even, you know, even much bigger than just the Irish that were enslaved. There was lots of different types of or, or I should say ethnic people of different backgrounds that were enslaved as well. So, um, but yeah, Irish were, and even when people just came to from Ireland to America in their own account, I mean, their, their daughters and their wives, they were looked down on in America to such an extent that they couldn't even um, get a job um, even to care for other people's children sometimes, they would have to be under supervision. It was very hard for them to find any kind of work at all. So um, you should really look that up if, if you want to learn more about how the Irish were treated even when they got to America, even if they weren't slaves. So now I'm going to go to... Um, this, this is called the Africa source of Barbados. This is White Slaves of Barbados on a Sugar Plantation, a, a picture story. So this actually shows a lot of images. If you go to africasource.com and then look up White Slaves of Barbados, you'll see the pictures. And... 
let's see, just a moment. some information to share but mostly these are just for um, images which is a neat thing to have access to you also take a look at africasource.com again for um, there was the cheddar man and they believe he was a black male. Um, it says Cheddar Man is a human male fossil found in Gow's Cave in Cheddar Gorge, Somerset, England. The skeletal remains date to the Mesolithic, Mesolithic uh, era, so 9100 BP, and it appears that he died in a violent death. A large crater like lesion just above the skull's right orbit suggests that the man may have also been suffering from a bone infection. Excavated in 1903, Gauss Cave in Somerset, Chatter Man is Britain's oldest human, complete human skeleton. The remains were kept by the Natural History Museum in London in the new Human Evolution Gallery. Intense speculation was built up around the Cheddar Man's origins and appearance because he lived shortly after the first settlers crossed the continental Europe to Britain at the end of the last Ice Age. It was initially assumed that the Cheddar Man had pale skin and fair hair, but his DNA paints a different picture, strongly suggesting that he had blue eyes, a very dark brown to black complexion, and dark curly hair. The discovery shows that the genes for lighter skin became wi widespread in European populations far later than originally thought, and that the skin color was not always a proxy or a geographic origin in the way it is often seen to be. Anal analysis of his nuclear DNA indicates that he was a typical member of the Western European population at the time, probably with lactose intolerance, dark skin, blue eyes, and dark curvy hair, or wavy hair. So uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure if they're suggesting that he was an enslaved person because of the way he died or but this was in with the other information, so I thought it was kind of interesting. I've heard of him before, and um, I just thought it was kind of interesting. Let me go back to the Irish stuff I have here. This one is from IrelandCalling.com, and it's Ireland-Calling.com. And it says, thousands of Irish people were subjected to years of abuse and cruelty after being sold as slaves during the 17th and 18th century. That is the claim made by London-based historians and authors John Jordan and Michael Walsh. The two men have written a book called White Cargo, which says that one of the one of back to Irish history, the darkest periods in Irish history, may have been swept under the carpet for centuries. The book details how thousands of Irishmen, women, and children were shipped across the Atlantic Ocean to the Caribbean 
and America to work as laborers during the 17th and 18th centuries. There was a term at the time known as indentured servants. This meant that laborers would work for their employers for free for a fixed length of time in return for being granted their freedom and given some land at the end of their service. Many Irish people traveled to America and the Caribbean under these terms. Many of them were treated badly and even betrayed betrayed at the end of their service when the landowner reneged on the deal. However, Jordan and Wash claim that the cruelty and injustice went further than this. They say many of these indentured servants were effectively slaves. They also believe thousands more Irish people were transported to the Caribbean from the 1600s up to the 1800s, not to work as indentured servants, but to be sold into a lifetime of slavery. Henry VIII wanted to regain control of Ireland. The atrocity began towards the end of the reign of Queen Elizabeth I. Britain claimed sovereignty over Ireland following the Norman invasion and a few centuries earlier. In actual fact, Ireland was still separated in several family clans and many kingdoms and was difficult to govern. <clears throat> many of the Anglo-Norman settlers had intermarried and formed allegiances with the native Irish clans. The British had even raised the concern that the Norman settlers had become more Irish than than Irish. Take a quick commercial break. I'll be right back. Stay tuned. Right now, right now you might be you struggling might be through struggling your classes or class. even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group, educational resources to help reach your goals. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying the New Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization, please visit www.newheightseducation.org. And while you're there, check out our online store Welcome back to our New Heights Show on Education, our civil rights show. Imagine your new bathroom, a sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. Are you ready? Amazon Warehouse Hiring Day is coming on October 26th. Amazon will host live hiring events in your city to showcase all the reasons why this Amazon Warehouse is the place to work. Things like competitive pay, great benefits, and so much more. Drop in for some swag, bring a friend, and you could even walk away with a job. To find an Amazon Warehouse Hiring Day event close to you, visit Amazon.com slash Hiring Day. That's Amazon.com slash Hiring Day. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Been talking about Irish immigrants and indentured servants and slavery. 
And um, I know some of my family actually came over as indentured servants. And I had a great grandfather that was an orphan train rider out of New York. And he was actually taken in as a white slave in Illinois, Kankakee, Illinois, uh, by a farmer that just wanted someone to work his farm and treated very poorly in all cases. I have seen some um, examples in my studies of genealogy that there are some indentured servants that actually would come here and they would make themselves scarce. They would actually get away from the people that had, um, you know, paid their way and stuff. I mean, you have your opinion on that, but I think they were the smart ones under the consideration of everything that had happened and and how some of these people that had done this were, were crooked to begin with. So, um, <laughs> kind of interesting. So, now I want to get into exploring the Chinese. Um, because this was another population that is not talked about very often that was also enslaved. So, the Chinese were slaves in the U.S. for centuries. This is from medium.com. You can look up truth. The Chinese were slaves in the U.S., something like that. Put into a search engine. You should be able to find it. Historians lied that the Chinese were laborers. No, they were slaves sold by their parents in China to slave owners. The Chinese slaves, a.k.a. collies, C-O-L-L-I-E-S, is how they were um, labeled or called, a nickname they gave them, were railway builders or Chinese laborers. They had no freedom and no human rights. The Chinese from the southern China had been actual slaves in the U.S. and the West for centuries. They were sold and resold at the slave markets, but their prices were much lower than contemporary black slaves, even after the Africans were freed. The Chinese continued to be enslaved in the U.S. and the West until the Chinese Exclusion Act was passed in 1882. I like this site, too, because it gives you some actual images of them working on the railway. And um, there's a photo of a from the Chinese web from Chinese labor who was actual slave in the U.S. Their prices at the slave markets were about half the contemporary uh, uh, for the black slaves. So the Chinese in the U.S. declined to reveal the truth to the world, but they both know the Chinese slavery history. And um, until the... Let's see. Let's, let's just a moment. And I, and I know that, too, from, from studying... Um, Chinese history through through the years, so I know that, that that did happen because a lot of people like to make arguments about if these things happened or, or not, but I, I really have studied history and I know that they did, so okay, this is another one from wikisource.org and it was written by Charles Frederick Holder and it said, among the factors which have aided in producing industrial unrest on the Pacific Slope during the past decades has been the almost unrestricted pouring in of alien races, particularly the Chinese. The question has assumed 
grave importance, especially in California, where almost every political contest during the past 20 years has had some bearing upon the so-called colonization of the Chinese in America and the usurpation of the industrial field of the American citizen. While this aspect of the question has been disturbing and dominating feature continually before the public, there is another and darker side to this alien movement, one which shows the Chinese in America to be a constant menace to order and <laughs> law and order and morality. Several months ago, the Chinese consul of San Francisco waited in some state on one of the missions in that the city and demanded the release of a fugitive slave for the, quote, honor of China and the Chinese. The representative of the emperor was rebuffed and retired to advise his countrymen who owned the woman be right to purchase to apply an American method known as writ habeas corpus. This was done, the woman being taken into court and fought over for several weeks, during which the world at large became aware that the, there existed in America, in America a system of slavery as obnoxious and debased as could be found in any slave-dealing de country of today. There was nothing more, nothing remarkable in the action of the council as peculiar and elastic code of morals possessed by the Chinese permits slavery, recognizing it as an institution to be protected and fostered, especially in America. The large Chinese settlement in San Francisco has made its traffic in human beings not merely possible, but a business followed as means of profitable investment. Under the protection and patronage of two Chinese societies, and here, the heart of an American city, we find one of the best organized slave marts of modern times, fostered by as a motley band of criminals as could be and produced in any portion of the uncivilized world, a band numbering 3,000 who derive their support directly or indirectly from the sound barter of female slaves. The Chinese population of San Francisco is estimated at 20,000, of these, 5,000 are factory hands, 5,000 claim to be merchants, 4,000 are domestic servants, Four, and 3,000 are the criminals referred to, and 3,000 are women and children. Of the 2,500 females, it is estimated with more or less accuracy that 1,000 are legitimate wives, and remaining 1,500 being slaves in the fullest sense, girls kidnapped in their homes in the Orient. Brought to America by fraud and imposture, passed through the custom house under false oaths and fear of death or dire consequences, <clears throat> put up at auction before professional slave merchants, knocked down to the highest bidder and condemned in the majority of instances to a life under duress in the Chinese brothels of an American cities. Such a slave, and the Chinese council referred to demanded, the woman had been sold and believed she was a slave. But when her master attempted to sell her six-year-old daughter on the grounds that she gave it too much care and that it interfered with her work, she fled to one of the missions and asked for shelter and protection. There learning for the first time that she was a free woman under the laws of the United States, 
After a long legal contest, she was returned to the charge of the Methodist mission. A young Chinese girl from 9 to 12 years of age in San Francisco today has a market of $150 to $500. A girl from 12 to 16, if attractive, is quoted on change among the high binders who constitute the brokers of this unique American exchange at from 500 to 1500 while for girls over this age, the prices range up to $3,500, which has been paid on the very grounds that such an investment will return profit of 20 or 30%. Slavery has existed among the Chinese in California for years and continues almost unrestricted. As these lines are written in the courts of San Francisco are fighting over the case of a slave named Fong, who claims to have been kidnapped in China, brought to America, and sold to the highest bidder. She finally escaped to one of the missions that has so far successfully defied her owners, and as a result, the question of the Chinese slavery will undoubtedly be thoroughly ventilated. The investigation of this and other cases and the examination of the records of the Chinese-American missions show the slavery of the most horrible and debased nature is being carried on wherever the Chinese have a foothold. From authoritative sources, it has been learned that slaves are, as a rule, badly treated, and the court and mission records abound in citations showing cross-cruelty. The slaves are of two classes, young girls used as household drudges and adults held for immoral purposes, by their owners who rent or sell them. The criminal or slave dealing class constitutes an important element in Chinatown and has organ an organized system so elaborately cunningly devised that so far it has been impossible to stamp out the practice. It seems incredible that slavery should be boldly advocated and carried on with all the elaboration and system that characterize any successful commercial project. Dead America is the principal field of their oriental slave dealer, and San Francisco is the headquarters for those engaged in the traffic. Here on DuPont Street, until within a short time, was an apartment known as the Queen's Room, in reality a, pu a public slave mart, where victims were brought and exhibited to dealers and would be purchased would-be purchasers. The two societies already mentioned have systemized the business in such a manner that it is a very simple process to evade American law. The headquarters are in San Francisco, agents being stationed in Canton, Amoy, and other Chinese cities. These in turn have sub-agents in suburban districts whose duty is to kidnap the victims and forward them to the agent at the shipping ports, who usually consigns them to a traveling and confidential agent whose duties lie not alone in guardian, guarding the human property, but instructing the women that they will be able to pass the custom house authorities. Unfortunately, the Chinese law and custom marriage aids the kidnapper. A wife rarely sees her husband before marriage, the affair being a business arrangement. 
pure and simple, the girl bargained for by the agent of the prospective husband, the agent of the San Francisco dealer, and the fulfillment of his duty pretends to be to represent a wealthy man searching for a wife. In the skies, he approaches a country girl to whom he holds out the inducement of a rich husband at Canton. Inexperienced, her imagination, excited by the picture of a life of luxury or ease drawn by the agent, she consents to accompany him to meet her husband and leaves her home and to never return. Arriving at some port, the agent invents a story to the effect that the husband has been called away to another place and has left word for her to follow. Still unsuspicious, she is shipped on an American steamer with others in charge of another agent. When far out to sea, the victim usually rebels, but is quieted by the agent, who now informs her that she is the grade in the greatest danger, that if she cannot succeed the passing, the American officials at San Francisco, she will be thrown into prison and subjected to torture. There is one opportunity to escape, she is told, and that is by pretending that she is a married woman returning to her husband after a visit to China. She is also given a forged certificate and a slip containing the name and address of a supposed husband in San Francisco. The story the victim is forced to learn and adhere to under threats of violence or death and the terrified girl readily enters into the scheme to deceive American Custom House officers who are supposed to enforce a vigorous examination of each case. But despite this, there are hundreds of illegal immigrants. The, honor, the uh, honorary John H. Wise, collector of the Port of San Francisco, in a reply to a letter from a writer said, quote, we have nothing to indicate the character of Chinese women who come here for the purpose of landing. Those who have come since I have had charge of this office claim to either be married women or native-born. The question of the right of either to land is determined by the proof presented. If there are any prostitutes among them, they would be generally found among those who claim to be native-born. We frequently hear of girls so landed being in houses of Ill, Ill fame, but there is no way to reach them because they come and land as native-born, and while they can submit ample proof of nativity, the government is unable to produce evidence of the contrary. The girls who are examined before the collector for admission are valued at $150 to $3,500, the latter sum having been paid in one instant. Consequently, every effort is made by the cons um, consignee to bring them through the ordeal successfully. This accomplished the girl who perhaps still expects to meet her promised husband is taken to a boarding house, provided with a rich wardrobe and rendered as attractive as possible. She is now, or she used to be, before the place was closed by the police, conducted to the Queen's room, which she is told belongs to her husband, where she is to receive friends, or his friends, 
The girl is now really on ex exhibition for sale and is critically examined by high bidders, slave dealers, spectators, brothel keepers, and others interested in the sale. Finally, a price is agreed upon and she becomes the property of some man whom she supposes to be her husband. The plot is not discovered by the credulous victim until her master hands her over to the keeper of the brothel. In four-fifths of the cases of slavery, this is the method of procedure, which, it is needless to say, invariably effective. The victim rarely, if ever, escapes. A typical instance is that of a girl who is kidnapped in Canton. The Chinese agent gets $185 for her and handed her over to Gu Kai or Gu Ka Cheng, a professional slave dealer. Gu had no certificate, so he invoked the American law and brought the girl ashore on writ of habeas corpus, where after some controversy in court she was released and spirited up the country by her master's wife who sold her to a man for $600. Her new owner beat her persistently for moral insubordination, insubordination and for refusing to debase herself and finding her rebellious sold her to a Chinaman who agreed to marry her and pay her pay for her in installments, which he finally did. It might be presumed that tri tribulations of the slave women were over, but above the time of the last payment, her husband made journey to China, leaving her in the care of his brothers. The latter, in course of time, finding themselves in need of money, determined to sell their sister-in-law. But the woman made such a vigorous resistance that they were prevented from carrying out their plan. Then they began systematically to beat her so that she would run away and would claim that she had deserted her husband. Failing in this, they hired a professional high bender and to murder or kill her, or murder to, a murderer to kill her. This man fired at her once, and Felling lost his courage. Another hatchet boy was employed to kill her, but being paid in advance, he warned the woman and fled to China with the money. Another attempt would have been made, but at this juncture she was rescued by Reverend N.R. Johnston and taken under the protection of the Chinese mission in San Francisco with one child and another 15 months old, having been sold by her, her husband's brothers despite her opposition. The records of the mission abound in similar accounts, a series of horrors which should arouse the protest at, all over the land. The instance of the girl, Woon Sun, illustrates the tenacity of purposes which characterizes the slave dealer. Since the enactment of Registration Act, it had been more difficult to introduce slaves and girls who formerly brought but $150 and are now valued at $800. The father of the girl in question had borrowed a certain sum of a slave dealer named Kum Mao and being unable to uh, liquidate the debt, gave his daughter, six years of age, his full payment. The child was discovered in one of the worst dens in the famous Bartlett Alley in San Francisco, from which she was taken by the Presbyterian Mission authorities, 
on an order of arrest, the charge being that she was a minor in a house of ill repute. The child was valued at $1,500, and her own and her owners began a legal contest which demonstrates the power and influence of the society of slave dealers. Kamwa, through the American lawyer of ability, attempted to have guardianship of the Presbyterian mission superintendent set aside, Mao Singh, a keeper brothel, appointed in her place. Four weeks, this case was, was fought by the Chinese slave dealer and the Christian woman of the Presbyterian mission. The American lawyer attempted by every mission to, dive, to drive the latter from the court. The Chinese societies engaged in this traffic have large fund for the prosecution of disputed cases and aided by the American lawyers and the writ of habeas corpus. They are often successful in regaining possession of these human ch chattels. The, to fight these societies, several denominations, notably the Presbyterians and Methodists, have established missions in San Francisco, where slaves are taken and every effort made to break the nefarious practices of the slave dealer. But the manager of one of those missions recently stated that the law was almost inoperative, inoperative that women and girls were still being bought and sold and condemned to a life of shame, and that instead of being in an asylum for the oppressed in America, or the portion people by the Chinese was a black was a black slave market as any the world has seen yet. The missions of San Francisco and their managers naturally the object of attack, the high binders, the slave dealers, made every possible attempt at retaliation. Repeated efforts have been made to kidnap rescued girls. The managers threatened with death and marked by the hatchet boys for destruction. But their goods work, but their good works go on. Girls and women being rescued by the law and by force when the law is not applicable to the case. It is difficult, it is not impossible to present adequately the full horrors of this practice of slavery. Yet, what should be known, and doubtless, the mission authorities will tell the whole story to those interested in philanthropic work. The, slave, the life of a slave is a chapter telling of a total debasement and ill treatment. The mission managers have found girls who have been burnt with red-hot irons, dragged about by the hair, and had their eyes propped open with sticks. Slaves that are resold are sold by a contract document, which, while unfit for publication, is the most remarkable paper, showing that the sale of women is looked upon in the same light as that of the lowest animals. At the present time, every effort is being made to suppress the traffic, but under the existing law, little can be expected. The women are brought in boldly on forged certificates or false oaths of their nativity, smuggled at the Mexican and Canadian borders, and without some, without some extraordinary effort, slavery would continue uninterrupted on American soil. If that doesn't make you feel sick, I don't know what would pretty sad
Slavery comes in many colors, many nationalities, and it's not just not just one. It's all throughout our history, all throughout the thousands of years that man has lived on this planet, including all the way back to Egyptians. So I challenge you to look at more than skin color. And if you really want to fight this kind of injustice, then figure out how you can serve, how you can volunteer and not point fingers and not tear down statues and not do things that only destroy history. Whether those statues, in some cases, should have, shouldn't have been built or not. And, and there are some people that should not have been made into statues. But they are now part of history of those places. And all you can do is tell the truth of each case. And there are some statues that should not have been torn down and should not be being torn down. And people don't even know what they're doing, don't even know what they're tearing down. So I ask that you really look more into this, into civil rights, into slavery, and into human trafficking, because all of these things are linked together. And we're going to talk about human trafficking more in a future episode. In the next episode, we're going to talk uh, more about um, the Chinese slaves. And, and I'll share that with you then. Thank you. Until next time. Appreciate you listening. Oh, and just a reminder, this show airs Sundays by 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I have another show on Wednesdays on education and the news that covers education and news stories across the U.S. and globally. And that airs on Wednesdays by 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's called Education in the News. So please take a listen to that or any number of our many other shows that we have on radio.newheightseducation.org. And consider giving to our organization, the New Heights Educational Group newheightseducation.org. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings. Imagine your new bathroom, a sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels.